Welcome to Season 9 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Are you passionate about leadership education? Do you want to expand your resource toolbox with practical teaching, learning, and program design strategies? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Welcome to Season 9 of the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Dan Jenkins, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And I am still Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. Wow, Season 9, that, that, that was quick, Dan. That got here, that moved on us kind of fast. Time flies as they say, Lauren. <laughs> yes, when you are having a wonderful time talking about leadership, that is the same. So in season nine, you know, we're always thinking ahead and tossing around ideas as things come up. And in season nine, I'm really excited for, we want to talk about generative learning for leadership educators this time around. So when we think about this, we're referring to an approach to leadership development, as well as education in general, that focuses on how we cultivate generative thinking and behaviors in leaders. So we've seen stories about generative AI, and we've had discussions about how technology has disrupted, but also created opportunities for us as leadership educators. And generative thinking is really the ability to create new possibilities, think systemically, and generate innovative solutions to those complex problems. So we know that we're in the space where we need new ideas because our old ones are out of date or out of practice or just not necessarily updated. And so this season will offer a good opportunity for us to talk with folks who are in that space, looking at where we are now post-COVID. I I feel like I can safely say post-COVID, right, Dan? I hope so. I hope so. I'm about to get on a plane this afternoon and um, (laughs) I'm I'm tossing up. Do I put the mask on? Do I not put the mask on? I know people coming down with it still. So, but let's, let's everyone keep our fingers crossed for a good start to everyone's semesters or wherever they're headed this fall. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I I say post COVID because the restrictions are gone, but you're right. We're We're always kind of thinking about what's next or if it's coming back. And so this season we're inviting leadership educators and scholars to talk about artificial intelligence, talk about ethical challenges that are disrupting how we're able to teach and work in leadership, talk about social phenomenon that are popping up that we need to address, Um, disruptions, even looking at adaptive challenges. So we know that term, but it seems even more relevant now. And so this space for season nine is really about looking at emerging trends and issues and how it's affecting us. Um, We're broadly asking how are we processing what's happening to us and around us on a day-to-day basis as we're trying to also develop our curriculum, teach our classes, evaluate leadership learning, and just in general, build and maintain our community. It feels like the space where all of this is changing. So Dan, what do you think our listeners should expect from us this season? Well, Lauren, well, I think it's going to be a mashup of disruption, which leadership education is pretty good at being disruptive in most spaces. Anyway, I think we're lucky to be outliers sometimes in academia. We're certainly a discipline that absolutely values experiential learning and reflection and development of critical thinking skills, emotional intelligence, things like that. And, you know, I think that that really puts us in a 
interesting space as we think about, as you mentioned, generative AI, but you know, generative thinking, generative learning, generative leadership. What what do those things mean as we try to apply those to our own places and spaces where we're facilitating? leadership learning. And so as we think about the disruption or disruptors around us, we've got two primary disruptors that are really going to make multiple appearances this season. The first is going to be some coverage of artificial intelligence and certainly a focus on OpenAI's chat GPT tool, which I had an opportunity to to play around with quite a bit in a, a course this summer, which I'll talk about in just a moment. And the second will be on adaptive challenges that are stemming from policy changes in several U.S. states that have resulted in cuts to funding or even restrictions to teaching uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, social justice related topics. Even with that DEI, not just restrictions, potential like criminal investigations right. in real time just for teaching people how to be inclusive or, or being open to diversity, which is mind blowing. Yeah, I was going to say it blows my mind. Yeah, I took the words out of my mouth. Like what just happened, right? <laughs> so yeah. yeah, you know, to start with the the AI stuff. So I taught a course this summer. I think I may have alluded to this a little bit in, in a summer episode, but not not quite sure how much depth I went into, but taught a course called uh, Technology and Society, which is a, a seminar. It's an elective for graduate students. Uh, I teach it every other summer. It's a quick one, seven weeks from mid-May to the end of June. And it's funny because every other year I'm like, oh, you know, probably not too many changes happening in technology and or and or society, right, Laura? Nothing, nothing going on that might be disruptive. And so the last time I had taught it was right in the middle of coming out of you know the pandemic and the transition to Zoom and um, all these types of things. And so that gave that was ripe for exploring all kinds of things. Before that, it was uh, looking at a lot of the, uh, what do we call it? The capitalism where they're always watching you. What's that called? Oh, uh, oh, big brother. Big brother. And oh God, there's a particular term. What's it? Surveillance capitalism. Okay, here we go. <laughs> wow. I, what is surveillance capitalism? I've never heard of it. Surveillance capitalism or surveillance capitalists. You know, some of it's a little, oh, it's definitely big brothery. It's 1984 kind of stuff. But it's this idea of you're being tracked. Maybe you're being watched, you know, your image, your likeness, your you know, all these types of things. And so um, that was uh, kind of front and center when I taught the course in 2019. So anyway, fast forward to to 2023. And uh, here we are with all of the AI sticking its little head into everything, not just education, but the way that we work. And so I have an opportunity with about a third of that curriculum is malleable. And so um, that gives me an opportunity to really focus students' efforts on some things that are kind of front and center in pop culture or just in the news generally. And so I curated, I guess, created a semester long, again, seven weeks, but an activity called Navigating AI and Leadership and Organizations. And so broke it down into three parts where students learn how to use and apply ChatGPT to their specific context, like industry that they were in or career aspirations that they may have had, engaged, uh, and also engage in some activities to enhance their proficiency using the ChatGPT tool. Some of the students had never used it before. They had certainly heard of it, but in seven weeks, they got much more much more competent, you know, in doing so, they they maintain a journal. So documenting their learning journey, a lot of reflective learning, talking about some of the enjoyable aspects, but also some of the challenges that they had and things um, while learning that new technology. And then the culminating learning activity was to write a Harvard Business Review style article summarizing their chat GPT application and their chosen contexts and its usefulness or utility for specific groups or organizations and they shared some insights with each other on teaching others 
about the technology. Uh, topics range from things like virtual reality and learning and education, um, dental hygiene, college admissions. One student works in uh, enhancing the hospital patient experience at a large uh, medical facility in, in Southern Maine. Rural poverty was a topic that one student looked at, international trade. So, you know, it was a nice group of, of grad students doing some cool things. And, and they all commented about how, and they used the word like freaky or freakish it was like, and I knew this because I gave it a shot. You know, if you say, hey, chat GPT, write me a Harvard Business Review style article on X, it will spit it out in like HBR format. They were like, what? You know, and so they they had to highlight what part of their final projects were uh, generated by the chat bot and what, which were no less than 50% of it had to be uh, original. And so, you know, they had a nice time learning how to use it and not being chastised for using it. Well, I know folks are, 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 are scared and with caution, right. And, and for good reason. Uh, but, you know, I, I took the approach of, look, this thing's not going away. We got to learn how to use it. Uh, how can we apply it specifically in the context of leadership and organizations? So I feel like that's the the good thing to do, though. Teach them how to use it and evaluate it to see if it's effective and yeah. and ethical. Because because again, in my understanding is ChatGPT is going bankrupt, but there will always be something like that, some kind of technology that alters your job. And so, right. like when I talk to my students about it this semester, I I said like we're I'm not going to tell you. Well, I, I'm going to tell you how to use it just because I need. To, you need to learn a certain set of skills to evaluate it. However, you're always going to have these apps and software and websites. And if you use them, you are responsible for them. And right. so like we, like I tell a story about how my, um, I have two colleagues. One says they use it all the time in their work. And the other said they had to put it in the employee manual that it's banned in their work because of different outcomes. And, and they both work in different fields, one in legal, one in general communication. And, and just depending on where you are, like you, you said, your assignment was based on their industry of career aspirations, depending on where you are might depend on how much you can rely on it as a tool. Right. So I think that's an interesting conversation. And I think with leadership education, we don't always think of the digital avenues that are available. And so this really puts it at the forefront for us, even though if you go back in our, our archive, we've talked about digital um, opportunities like um, virtual, I think we had virtual gaming. I think that was like the yeah, one yeah. episode gaming, I missed. And we had Josie Alquist on back in the day. Who yeah. Was kind of yeah experiential. I remember jo Josie. She's actually got a great program out now to train student workers in social media, free plug, free if you're interested. <laughs> anyway, one of the things that we continue to come back to is like technology is there. And so we right. have to have these conversations about how people are using it. Yeah. And so we're excited to have some guests. Some have been confirmed already. Some are aspirational. We're still uh, getting all this scheduled for our season nine here, but we've got some award-winning teaching faculty from our own institutions, as well as some authors and scholars um, and consultants in leadership, education, training, and development more broadly, who are experimenting with and writing about the uses of, of AI and, and all of these spaces. So... In addition to that, as we take a look at some of the diversity, equity, inclusion, social justice spaces, we're excited to be chatting with some faculty, some chief diversity officers, others um, with insight regarding developments across the U.S., again, specifically in states where legislation has been passed or is under consideration regarding uh, funding and our teaching DEIJ-related topics, or as Lauren mentioned, uh, you know, making it criminal to do some of these things. You know, one of the 
I don't know if I want to say striking, but maybe it was kind of like um, I, I should have known, but um, I, I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like I went into the conversation with uh, we're not going to name this person, but it's someone that I hi highly, highly respect that's been in the been teaching in higher education and specifically in really, really large AAU level uh, institutions and in, uh, higher education student affairs graduate programs and we were going to invite this individual on to speak, and they are in a state that is under some uh, scrutiny with, with some of these things right now. And unfortunately, they didn't feel safe coming on the podcast. And that was really, really tough uh, having this conversation with, with this person who had been uh, had been very generous with their time. With, with me earlier in my career, I had brought this person to a, a campus that I worked on. I'm being intentionally vague here, not to out <laughs> this individual, but the the government and their state is seeking retribution of, of individuals and radicalized folks who are looking for people who are, who are speaking out. And you know, I think about what's going on with uh, the new college, right, in Florida and some of the, the issues there with folks just leaving in, in droves and Administrations trying to um, kind of completely re revamp, reinstitute, I guess, you know, colleges and universities based on you know political agendas and and things like that. It, it makes me think of you know, Irish Aleph's courageous follower approach. You know that how much do you support or challenge the government, the leadership, and and places and spaces where where you work? But we all have self interest, right? How do you? Not everybody's able to to speak out when your job or your your livelihood is is at stake, and you know, but what about when your individual values are not in sync with your organization's values or or the state where you live? What do you yeah, do there? I, I feel like you're touching on so many different. Oh my things. gosh, it's just... and I feel like both of us we we would not have expected that that we would be here in this space talking about that. And I think, yeah. especially as someone who's worked in both Florida and Texas, um, it's it's challenging because you're seeing like you know the tenants of these places that you've worked in and you know kind of some of what you're reading and seeing some of it is sensationalized to a certain extent but then some of it is very true and very real and it's scary that as you're trying to raise the next generation of leaders you've got to almost justify some of the things that they're seeing like I, I think the the thing I talk to college students all the time about is most of us over the age of 40 didn't have a leadership class in college, um, let alone multiple. Like in my program, there's four leadership classes that students can take because our university values that and our college and even our program values that. But if you would have told me in this day and age in the state of Florida, you wouldn't be able to talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, or in the state of Texas, you wouldn't talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, my jaw would have been on the floor, you know, and I, I definitely would have been fighting you, little Jersey accent coming out, little head nodding, noodle necking. But but that's where we live, right? And so it, it's it's easy for us to have these conversations um, just amongst us and, and kind of have that bird's eye approach, like, oh, look what they're doing in Florida. But the reality of it is within our community of leadership educators, we all feel tied to support. So if, if our folks are, are having challenges in one space, then it feels like all of us are kind of having challenges. And how can we have conversations where we protect identity and livelihoods? Because we're talking about people's jobs fulfilling their basic needs. But then also, how do we grapple with what you just said, like your individual values not being in sync with either your organization or, or at this stage, your government's bodies? 
I'm lucky. I work at a school where, you know, our students will protest if we're not using the right pronouns. You know, it's like they we are very democratically engaged. And so I'm lucky in that if they try to do this, like where I am in, in Philadelphia, collectively students across the city would you know, the gov- the state government would have an issue for sure mm-hmm. on their hands that they couldn't just, you know, and so and, and I, I say it somewhat jokingly, but also very true. You know, our, our students are at the forefront of those conversations. And so something like this, I would be surprised if something like this happened. I even think about how our state is, I'm in Pennsylvania, I work in Philadelphia. Our state is extremely conservative, but the city of Philadelphia, the government find ways to kind of, they find those loopholes in it. So for example, when the state said no mass, the city of Philadelphia said, well, our numbers are still high. So we're going to, in the city, we're going to have mass. And so they're able to navigate that. I can only imagine how our colleagues in Florida, Texas, and some of the other states that are facing different challenges, I can only imagine how they have to go in these meetings and think about, you know, how, how do we find these loopholes? Am I going to lose my job? Um, I love my community. I love where I work. Like you and I had a great affinity for Florida State. So I, I you know, but I, I say all of that to say we're in this place where we can have these conversations. And so some of what we've been doing is talking to our colleagues and just getting a sense of what they're thinking and, and what they're preparing to do and what questions they have so that in future episodes, we can continue to talk about what's going on and how we can best generate conversation and share resources to help. Yeah, I guess two things. One, you mentioned Florida State. They had a they had an okay uh, season opener against the uh, <laughs> Tigers. So just want to drop that out there. But also <laughs> speaking about looking at at Texas specifically, you know, you shared an article with me a couple of days ago, Lauren, about that bill uh, SB seventeen in Texas that uh, was that bans diversity, equity, and inclusion offices and higher ed institutions and prohibits departments from implementing mandatory training that includes you know content or programs around race, color, ethnicity, gender identity, sexual orientation. I mean, it, when I think about specifically, not only are we, you know, and it's not the primary subject of most of our leadership coursework. However, it, it is certainly um, an important topic. And our colleagues in uh, student affairs roles, um, that's a huge part of their responsibilities and facilitating not only creating safe spaces for students to engage in, in activities and, you know, residence life or on their campuses or student activities, whatever, but, you know, just the role that they've played as professionals and and student affairs. And this, um, you had sent me this article about um, that the University of Houston that they were going to change their Center for Diversity to, what is it? It's a Center for Student Advocacy and Community, which, you know, it says, hey, it's going to be open to students regardless of race, sexual orientation, or gender identity. I mean, I'm curious, do they just, do you just go about doing what you were doing before? And, you know, you just put a new sign up, you know, under new management, grand, grand new opening. (laughs) Yeah. You Um, you know, it's interesting you say that because, you know, there's like an old unofficial adage, like, well, at least where where I am kind of, if you, if you're around long enough, your department name will change. Right. Right. So, but, but it's more out of most of the time it's driven by like fiscal effectiveness or majors that have gone away. But in this case, it's about preserving your commitment to um, young people and higher education and 
if I know anything about students, they rarely do they know the name of the offices. They know the university and they know the people that help them. And so the hope is in that space, they're able to have some conversations that still meet their overall mission of preparing those students. Mm -hmm. um, and even the the open for all, regardless of race, like I've been in spaces where we, we've we been, so at, at Temple, our ideal office, our diversity office is very engaging. And I've been in spaces where we were talking about, let's say like, you know, our LGBTQ plus friends. Um, and it's been, the room was filled with every identity, every age, you know? And so, so it's always felt open. It's just this day or this event, we're focused on this part of someone's culture or identity or, or, or their, their space. And so, so the hope is, like you said, like the title doesn't matter, but they're able to, to meet their mission in a way that protects their staff's basic needs. Right. I hate to say, keep them out of jail or out of court, which is wild. Um, but also the thing I, I think about every day is like, I love teaching because, um, and, and it actually comes from randomly a Joe Biden statement. President Biden came to campus before he was running for president in between him being vice president and president. And he made the comment, he was like, the young people will save us. And he talked about how when he was in high school or graduating high school, a lot of his friends were going to Vietnam. And you know he was, he was saying, telling the story about how kind of his peers were the active ones pushing you know government officials. And, and it's what propelled him to really get involved in that space. And so he, at that time, encouraged young people to, you know, like to, to not sit back and to think that you don't have voice and choice and power and to really think about what's your power. And, and I, I love that because I feel like that's what I talk to my students about a lot. Um, kind of who are your leaders? What are they doing? You know, I lovingly, I respect the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, but you got to find somebody alive that's doing good work that you can support, you know, to your point, courageous followership, right? And so in these spaces, I think it, it's an opportunity for innovation in a space where we feel like our hands are being tied or we're being limited in our work. So those are the conversations. As you see, we just ran off for like an hour about that one time. <laughs> so as you can see, we're excited to have these conversations, right, Dan? Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to being able to engage with some really, really smart people this this season that are are deep into these spaces you know i mentioned earlier you know uh hoping to have at least one chief diversity officer um join us this season uh, we've got a returning guest that will uh talk about kind of return to i guess the topic of of crisis and crisis management in mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, higher education so that'll be fun you know when folks are navigating all kinds of adaptive challenges and they're places and spaces in their campuses and communities so yeah just really really excited about this season and and also, as we continue our partnership with uh, not only Association of Leadership Educators, but the International Leadership Association, as we look forward to the annual global conference, which is the 25th conference of the ILA in Vancouver in the middle of October coming up here. And then the virtual is October 3rd and 4th. And then they're on site in Vancouver, October 12th through the 15th. And certainly hope to see some of our, our, our listeners there. But along with that partnership, as we did last year, we're having the opportunity to interview uh, some of the Legacy Program Lifetime Achievement Award winners. And so uh, ideally, we'll get have a chance to talk with um, all, all four of these folks, um, but hopefully at least three of them. Um, so we've got Joanne Archibald, Quam Quam Ziam. She's a, a First Nation member from Canada, a highly accomplished educator, 45 years 
of experience. She's worked as a teacher. She's developed curriculum researcher, author, all kinds of uh, leadership roles, and specifically at the University of British uh, Columbia, looking at where she has looked at indigenous uh, knowledge and story work being one of her big areas, uh, transformative education, um, indigenous methodologies. So she's she's played a significant role in indigenous education nationally and internationally. And she was actually uh, also appointed as an officer of the Order of Canada um, in 2018. So she's that I'm really curious about about her background. I don't know as much about her as I do about the next one is uh, Dr. Bruce Avolio. I've uh, read probably probably everything he's he's written and might have a little bit of uh, might have a little nerves going into that conversation with someone that that I've just uh, was introduced to very early on in my career and just seen so much of of his work. But he's the uh, the chair in business strategic leadership at University of Washington's Foster School of Business, highly, highly cited researcher um, in leadership and business and economics and, and org change, so many books and articles, um, and really, really established consultant and really interested in that. Uh, we've also got Dr. Mansour Javidan. He's there in a, um, an award-winning educator and are at Arizona State University. He's a renowned expert in national culture and leadership. He was a former president of the Globe Project. So you may have come across that in your uh, in your favorite Northouse edition. <laughs> so that that was a huge study that certainly had a big, big impact. Um, but he's worked with organizations like NASA and Lockheed Martin. And so some really cool stuff going on there. And then last but not least, um, Dr. Sonia Espina, who's a professor of public management and policy at NYU's Wagner Graduate School of Public Service. Very familiar with with her work, I think one of the first folks I came came across when I was doing my dissertation research, um, mama, 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 years ago. <laughs> but um, brings tons of expertise in democratic governance, social change leadership, ton of research in the participatory um, research area, and um, you know just just a really, really, really prolific uh, scholar. And uh, she recently received the uh, Keith Proven Award from the Academy of Management, uh, actually last year. So big, big, big accolade there. So um, just, yeah, these folks are going to blow us away. Really looking forward to what they have to share um, at the conference and um, having the opportunity to have some more intimate conversations with them should be should be really fantastic. Yeah, there, there's nothing like talking to folks in that space who have contributed so much and they they bring to life their research, um, you know, that you would talk about this number of citations and kind of where we were introduced to them and the, how we've used their work. And they still have that same passion and energy about what they're talking about, almost like a, like a, like a childlike innocence, you know, when you think about like your, your children or if you're an aunt and uncle, your nieces and nephews, or, you know, or if you're a grandparent, your grandchildren, that that excitement that they bring when they're learning something new, you almost see that same excitement or feel that good energy from those folks. So those will be good conversations to have after uh, and post um, after we come back from ILA in mid-October. And I believe people can still register for that conference. There's, there's registration available. And as someone who has been specifically in leadership for, in leadership education for 10 years ILA has been one of the best conferences to attend simply because you get exposed to so many people from various countries and different areas of leadership I remember last year sitting at ILA and I was in a room and I knew like maybe 70, it was your, your teaching and training presentation you did. It was like 8 a.m. I had just got my coffee and I was sitting in the room 
And I remember thinking, you know, sitting next to some very established scholars and, and faculty, and they were in there trying to get new training ideas or teaching ideas as well. And so I, I just find that the, the conversations inside of the workshops and, and panels are wonderful, but then the opportunity to connect and see your those that you kind of look up to in the field learning alongside you is, is a super... Um, it's, it's a wonderful thing. It's gratifying. It, it's nice to know that the people that you are looking to model are also kind of lifelong learners um, as they're trying to improve their practice. So it's, it's a wonderful space. Um, you said my favorite word when I was doing my dissertation years ago. Um, uh, as Now that we're kind of done with talking about what we're going to talk about, we always kind of give these life updates of where we are. So I, I said to Dan when we were planning this, I said, I'm pretty boring this semester in terms of teaching. Like I'm teaching uh, communicating leadership, which is an intro level course. Uh, leading groups and team building, which I've taught, I think this is my 10th year teaching that class um, every semester, except for maybe a couple. Um, news writing, because I'm in public relations. And then I'll get back into public relations theory, which I haven't taught in a couple of years. Last time I taught it, we were, it was online and we were still in the throes of the pandemic. And one of the things I, I get great joy out of in that class is I try to apply theory to everything. And so my students will get excited talking about, I think yesterday it was Kylie Jenner and Timothy Chalamet. And lovingly, they are not in my Netflix queue for whatever movies or whatever they do. But the excitement when they put it together using the Kardashians or the Jenners or the actresses and actresses gets me excited. So I'm excited to teach that class this semester. And I have a new schedule. I actually am half in person and half online. So I'm, I'm on campus Tuesday, Thursday mornings to teach. And then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Monday evenings, I'm, I'm online teaching, which I, I enjoy both spaces. So it's nice to have that balance. Um, I did collect all of my data for my dissertation. I spent the summer collecting it. So now I'm just writing chapters four and five. So everybody send your good graces and best wishes. I'm excited to get to this part because there are so many new things I learned and then so many things that were affirmed from writing, from doing my lit review. So I'm excited to get into that. And then as if I didn't have enough on my plate, I'll continue working with coaches, general managers, and other sports professionals. So for the last two years, I've worked with a company called Stretch. We um, have contracts with agents, with professional organizations, most notably the NFL. And so we have good conversations with some of their senior leaders about how are we, how are you able to communicate who you are um, to the people that you're leading, as well as how are you able to advocate for yourself? And so in the past, we've done some interview prep and we've had some of our folks get great jobs and great promotions. But what we've started to talk about is how are we helping you kind of craft your story and advocate? So I get to bring in my sports background, my leadership background, storytelling, even using some of the uh, content I have for my, my public relations courses in these spaces. And so um, we our, our contract has been extended, so we'll continue for a few more years doing this work. So I'm excited, excited and looking forward to this semester, in addition to the podcast, having some of these other things on my plate. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. What about you? You, I feel like the last few, like the last year and a half, your schedule has looked different since oh. you, you were department chair, not <laughs> department chair, full professor, like every semester, it looks like it's new for you. Yeah. If one thing is constant, it. Uh, my department has changed, right? As they say. So, um, so this, 
this fall, I'm more online than I than I usually am. I've got one class that's high flex, which I've taught in some iteration for I think the last eight or nine years. It's our uh, graduate seminar in leadership theory, which we mix our masters and our PhD students um, together. They outfitted a new classroom on our campus, which luckily is on the same floor as our as our faculty offices. So that's that's a nice commute. And uh, but they outfitted it with all kinds of microphones and cameras that follow the speaker and there's monitors everywhere and um, it's a whole thing. So it's a nice high flex new classroom with lots of bells and whistles. And I've got about, I think, 16 students in in that class. So that meets, I think, nine times over the course of the semester, like a 5.30 to 8 o'clock type of thing. So just we just had our second meeting uh, yesterday. And then I've got an intro to leadership course. It's our undergraduate intro course, which our students in our minor will all take and, and many in, in our bachelor's program as well. That class is totally full. That's become really popular, um, but that's fully asynchronous, um, no class meetings. And then um, I also teach our uh, qualitative methods one course for our doctoral students, and that's an online class as well. So excited to to be teaching those three. Um, kind of odd to to be online so much, but uh, my spring looks looks very different. So I've got two. I think I've got two in person and one online. So kind of the, the polar opposite. Um, yeah, I mentioned earlier get, getting on a getting on a plane this afternoon, headed to to Brussels to do some work with uh, with NATO and their special operations university. So really excited about that and connecting with an old colleague I used to work with when I was a doctoral student at University of South Florida, doing some program reviews this semester, really enjoying doing some of that work and continuing to do some of that work um, in spaces and places. And yeah, I think otherwise headed to ILA, as I mentioned um, earlier as well, involved in a couple of different presentation groups, both during the virtual side of it. I just got asked to participate in a panel titled Adaptive Challenges in Higher Education to Program Leaders group. And uh, so talk about some of the adaptive challenges that I faced when I was department chair for six and a half years. And I'm really, really excited to work with some of the folks on that panel that some I know, some uh, I know of. So getting, uh, I'm excited to learn a little bit more about each of them. On site at the conference, I'm excited about a panel chaired by one of our LEA facilitators, uh, Chris Wildermuth, who's over at Barry University down there in Florida. She put together a panel on AI leadership and ethics. Where do we go from here? I think that's going to be a really fun conversation at the conference, presenting with a good uh, friend and colleague over at Christopher Newport University on followership in theory and education. So that should be fun. Doing that workshop again that, Lauren, you had mentioned, the Great Ideas Teaching and Learning Teach and Share Forum. And uh, we actually changed it this year to be great ideas for teaching leadership and followership. So our friends over in the uh, followership community will be uh, pleased to see that minor look at, update. Look at, you. look at you growing and developing and being more inclusive in your spaces. I love yes. it. So that should be fun doing that one with, with Paige Hapakuran. And then the last one, I continue to serve on the uh, editing and managing board of the Journal of Leadership Studies. And we host a roundtable for folks that are interested in uh, publishing in the journal and uh, kind of just create a, a forum, an, an approachable forum, if you will, for interested uh, scholars, grad students, what have you, to come and just chat with the editorial team in an informal environment there during the roundtables. So I guess that's kind of like moderately busy. Um, I've certainly, I yeah, I think that's a manageable <laughs> presentation load. I know when I was a community leader 
years ago, I, you know, you, you end up being part of six to eight different sessions in one way, shape or form. And it's like, you, you don't even get a, a chance to take a breath. And so I, um, I'm looking forward to being able to participate in a, a lot of other folks' uh, sessions and, and hopefully do some more catching up with people this year than uh, I had an opportunity to do last year. I'm a free agent, so I'm not as popular <laughs> as you are. I'm just going to be standing in the lobby, shaking hands and kissing babies and, you know, like my, doing my little model wave at folks. Maybe I'll get a shirt that says Leadership Educator Podcast. And so I'll, or like a, a, a what do they call those things? A headband? Yeah. Maybe headband with the Leadership Educator Podcast. So when people see me, they know that it's me and they'll come up and talk to me. Maybe I'll get a shirt that says Free Conversation. Ooh. Right. And I'll just yeah. hang in the lobby and just talk to folks. You know, got to put this gift of gab together. I know we do. <laughs> so th- that's all we have for today for y'all. This is the end. It's pretty lengthy intro episodes. Usually we're, we're kind of brief, but as you can see, we're excited about talking about, you know, generative learning. We're excited about talking about, you know, the disruptors that are happening in leadership education as well as higher education And so we look forward to um, y'all continuing to follow us on season nine. As we've shared before, you know where you can access us. We're on LinkedIn or on X, formerly known as Twitter, which is the new way to say it. Um, If you have ideas or guests, please reach out to us in those spaces. We'd be more than happy to talk to you about kind of the things that you have in mind. We've got some great recommendations from others in the past. So we look forward to that and want to wish you a great start to your semester. Do you connect with leadership educators virtually? Please follow us on social media. Search the Leadership Educator Podcast on LinkedIn to find our page. And find us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod for episode release information, show notes, and upcoming events. You can connect with me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Leadership. And Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura JB. You can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. We also encourage you to please subscribe at theleadershipeducator.com and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matt White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina. Check him out at mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, we are grateful for the support of two professional associations that are destinations for leadership educators the Association of Leadership Educators, and the International Leadership Association. ALE, which funded the start of the podcast, continues to promote our mission of continuing conversations with leadership professionals. Check out all that ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. The global reach of the ILA has helped us to expand our listenership beyond our original borders. Check out the ILA's programs and resources at ilaglobalnetwork.org.